Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Well, it's a great time of the year to look into God's Word together. Amen? If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We want to talk about the Word becoming flesh. The Word became flesh. John chapter 1. In this Christmas season, we've been doing our, our Christmas reading from the Scripture starting on the last Sunday in November, and we've been reading from the book of John, and so we're also, because there's only 21 chapters there, we add some other passages to read about the Christmas story this week, and so I hope you've had a blessed time encountering the Lord in the Scripture. I pray that you have experienced the reality of God as you have spent time with Him in His Holy Word. The Gospel of John is powerful, and it's also dense and deep. John actually uses some of the most simple, uh, it was written in Greek, some of the most simple language, but the revelation that John has had of Jesus Christ and that he's sharing by the power of the Spirit is very, very deep and very, very powerfully rich. And so John is a place, as all the scripture of encounter with God. I hope you, when you read the word, You're reading it for an encounter with the living God, expecting to hear the voice, the one who has written it, God the Father, who has written it by his spirit as the revelation of his plans in Jesus Christ, summing everything up in him. And the word is just tremendously beneficial for our lives. It's life-giving, it's impactful, it's, it's one of the most frequent ways that God speaks to us. People will sometimes say, hey, I need a word from God, and the temptation is to hand them the Bible and say, here's a few, and ask them to read it. Um, I know what they mean. They need some specific direction, but God speaks through his word, and his word comes alive through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what we want to do this morning is um, we're going to actually read John chapter 1 to 18, uh, John chapter 1 verses 1 to 18, and we're going to read it in the NIV, and then I'm going to read it again in the message paraphrase. So I want us to spend time and let the word soak in us and get into us, and I'm going to make a few comments about John chapter 1. Father, as we spend time in your word today, we pray that you would open up our eyes to the mystery and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you that the word has become flesh. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, as Isaiah 9 says, that that for us a child is born. Thank you that you are human, totally, completely human, and yet a son is given. We thank you that you are the divine son of God. We bow before the mystery of you putting heaven and earth together, of you coming and putting spirit and matter together. We bow before the reality of who you are. And I pray that the joy that has broken into our lives and into this planet through your life, Lord Jesus, I pray that that joy will bring great fruit to you and fulfillment in this season. I pray that many hearts will be open. I pray that many eyes will see you more clearly and that ears would hear the glory of God and respond to the invitation for personal relationship with you. We love you. 
And we ask you to speak to us now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot conquer it or has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which is his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. The message. The Word was first. The Word present to God. God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. There was once a man, his name John, sent by God to point out the way to the life light. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life he brings into light. He was in the world, and the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. These are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, this one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, 
true from start to finish. John pointed him out and called, this is the one, the one I told you is coming after me, but in fact was ahead of me. He has always been ahead of me. He has always had the first word. We all live off of his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses, and then this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding. All this came through Jesus, the Messiah. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. Lord, bless the reading of your word and penetrate our hearts with it, we pray. In the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, anybody who's read the Bible, that would trigger something, right? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What John is telling us, what he's setting the stage for is to tell us this story. He's telling us the story about God and this world, not just the story of an event that happened in time. This is God who is in action with his beloved creation. It's about the way in which our creator God is bringing the climax of the world. He's bringing the world to its point in Jesus. You see, the climax of the creation story was a human. Here we have the climax of this story. God becomes human. He takes on that incarnation. He becomes flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So the Bible says that before anything, there was God. And the Word was with God. Now, in verse 17, it tells us who the Word is. It's Jesus the Christ. Okay, so it's Jesus Messiah. You don't have to try to figure that out. In, in John's day, writing, using the Greek language, that thing, logos, there was a principle of life, or there was a reality, a, a key part of living that people pointed to. Or in the Hebrew understanding, there was the, the logos, there is wisdom. But God wants us to know that what he's talking about is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was with the Father before time and before creation began. The Word was not only with God, the Word was God. And as Pastor Steve has taught us over and over and over again, the nature of a Word is to communicate. We have a communicating God. God communicates with us. God speaks to us. God comes after us. He makes himself known to us. Now, many of us would like him to give us a calendar with all the dates and with all the details there so that we could run with the plan, right? Therein lies the problem. We would run with the plan. We would say, I've got this, Lord, and I can do this. And he goes, oy vey, you can't do it without me, right? That would be our tendency. And so, so many times when we're asking, God, would you speak to me? God, would you help me? God, would you come... We're actually missing him because he's coming in ways, but not the way that we want, right? But our God is a communicating God. Like, I love the fact that in this Christmas season, he's left a clear witness in our culture to Jesus. 
There are Christmas lights. There are Christmas songs. You know, I've told you about the impact of kids and, and music singing glory to God as we've just done this morning, the hallelujah chorus, and all those different ways. God has left a clear witness in our culture, so much so that statistics tell us that between 90 to 95%, it's a high percentage of people, would accept an invitation to church if we asked them if they already weren't going to church somewhere. Now, is that not remarkable? That's amazing. And you're going, I don't think that's true in my statistics. Well, statistics aren't always accurate all the time, right? But the bottom line is people are responsive in this season. They're actually seeking. They're hungry. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So through John, God wants us to know about this word, about Jesus the Christ. Verse 3 says he's the creator of all things. Verse 4 says he's the life. He's the source of life. He's the life giver. He is the light of the people, verse 4, and the light of the world, John 9, 5 says. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So he's the life giver, and he's also the light giver. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot conquer it, overshadow it, or even understand it. And I mean that in the sense of in our culture, when we, when we think we understand something, it's to have control over it, right? Can you see darkness trying to control God? He wins all the time. Verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So, this is referencing John the Baptist, the forerunner. He was sent by God. Now, it's interesting. John's trying to make a point that there's a difference between Jesus, the uncreated one, and John the Baptist, who was created to go before Jesus and to make the introduction. He is distinct from the uncreated one, and there was confusion in this day as to John's role, and so the Holy Spirit through John is trying to make this very clear. John's job was to testify to the light and to help people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, he was coming to prepare the way. John was not the light, but verse 8 says he was a witness to the light. And Jesus is the true light who gives light to every person. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus is the light, and he gives light to every person. I know today that there's a lot of struggle with the idea that some people don't know Jesus. They don't have an opportunity to receive Jesus. What about those people? And there's a move today towards something that would be called universalism where people say that in the end, God says everyone can be a part of my eternal family and will be with me in heaven. But the truth is 
the scripture teaches us that God reveals himself to people and comes to them in a myriad of ways. The Bible says that God reveals himself to us through conscience. That little thing that says this is right and this is wrong, right? Now we can sear the conscience. We can keep going against that voice of God in us. And culture can mess up the conscience. But I want you to know that God comes to people and speaks through conscience. He speaks through creation. As we see those images from the Webb telescope, it just makes me go, wow. Being raised in West Texas, we didn't have night pollution. We just had, we had this beautiful starry sky, and I just used to sit out and look at the glory of the stars, and I would encounter God through his marvelous creation in the night because the heavens radiate the glory of God. The heavens are beautiful. By the way, it's stunning the detail that God goes to. He says that he knows, he knows you so intimately that he knows every hair on your head. I had someone recently tell me, you know, I don't even care how many hairs are on my head. Now, some of us do have less hair than others. But they're going, I've never thought about numbering my hair. But God... God knows that. God knows that. Now, now think about this. He names every star. Now, how's that for smarts? Isn't that, isn't that impressive? Do you know how many stars there are? There's more than a bunch. They're just, they're everywhere. And the heavens, when you look at the sky and, and you look at it from space, it's just, it's just lit up, Right? Our God is miraculous. Our God is mysterious. Our God is amazing. And so we have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to be a part of what he's doing in this world, and we want to give witness to the light that we've experienced in Jesus, who the Lord says he reveals himself to people by conscience, by creation. The ultimate way he does it is through Christ. The clearest way is through Jesus Christ. I was watching the transformation videos years ago that George Otis Jr. did, and they went into the northern Arctic of Canada. They went up into the land, and they met the Inuit people. And uh, they heard the story of their journey in Christ Jesus, and missionaries had come there a long time ago, and they came to share with them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what their response was? Thank you for telling us his name. We did not know his name, but here's what we knew about him. Jesus had already gone there before them and had made himself known. So there's a tension in our lives. We go, is God really fair? What about that person on that distant island? What about that person in that remote jungle? What about that person in an unreached people group or whatever? But I want you to know our God pursues people I told you the story of the Muslim pastor that I met in the northern, the northwestern part of Nigeria, Sokoto, where the emir of the, the Muslims lived, the ruler of, of, of their religion lived, and, and he came to Christ there. He was a genuine seeker. He just was looking in the wrong place. And on his way to prayer one day, as an adult, he felt a tap on his shoulder and a voice said to him, you will not find in there what you're looking for. 
And he turned around while everybody was going one way. He began to walk the other way and sent him on a three-year journey to find someone to tell him about this living God. And then God set up a divine appointment and he came to Christ and then he's given his life away, sacrificing his life to serve God in the north. He said, because there are other genuine seekers that are here. That's a mystery, amen? It's a mystery. And I, I want you to know that some people say, God can't be like this, God can't do this. And, and my heart, I wish I could say with all my heart, I, I want everybody to get in and, and universalism, that sounds really good to me. But did you know God says it's his will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance? It's not God's will either. And I know that my God is pursuing people. I know that my God is going after people. He's making himself known. Now, you and I get to be like John. Whatever light we've experienced, we get to be a testimony of that light and that reality. I mean, literally, when people look at you, they get to see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ in a person. We are now in, in, a part of God's family. We are now indwelt by the living God. We are now a part of the Spirit's activity. And so we get to be a part of this testimony that goes from generation to generation to generation. What a privilege. What an honor. And the testimony is really good news. Amen? By the way, if you start thinking about how to share good news and you can't figure out what's good in your life because you're focusing on the bad news, like all the things that God's working on and all the ways that he's held you back and all the ways, and I want you to know something's gotten turned upside down. Amen? Because even with God doing things in our lives, even with God doing things, and like Paul said, hey, I need this healing, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I, I need this thorn out of my, my flesh. And, and the Father says what to him? My grace is sufficient to you. I can help you. Uh, uh, sometimes God does that miracle thing and he takes that thing away from us, right? Whatever it is, healing, whatever it is that we need. But sometimes he says, my presence is good. My presence will sustain you. My grace will provide for you. So he gives us strength in the battle, strength in the struggle, strength in the journey. Sometimes I meet Christians and they're only focusing on, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm under all of this and I've got all these issues and I've got all these struggles and somehow we need to help each other get our eyes kind of back on the Lord and it's hard, isn't it, sometimes? especially when you're in a lot of pain. When you're in a lot of physical pain, it's hard to see clearly. Or when you're in financial pain or whatever it is. But I want you to know, the scripture teaches us that it's really good news that we're a part of God's family. It's really good news that God has invaded our lives and is changing us. We're being changed for good. Now, change is not always easy. Change, though, is worth it. Amen? And so Mike Bickle says, no one dangles gracefully. I like that. You know, when God's changing us, sometimes it's not. But if you can't look over and see what God's up to in your life and say, God is good. Here's what's going on. And yet I still trust him. Then, then get people to pray with you. Amen. Help them to help you to lift your eyes and encounter this one. Because God's doing more in your life than you can imagine. 
Back to that statement earlier that I said, uh, I have people all the time that come up to me and say, God's not speaking to me. The truth is, as we spend time talking and conversing, we begin to discover the way that God's talking to them. How about you? Are you aware or do you need someone to help you discover the different ways that God talks? Like we began our service by reading from Matthew chapter one. When you read about God's involvement with Mary and Joseph, there were some supernatural things that went on there, right? A lot of dreams, right? A lot of visitations. Did you know God still speaks today through dreams? God speaks through prophetic words. God speaks through scripture. Pastor Steve has shared with us a handout. 14 things just came to his mind very quickly of what the Bible says. These are ways that God speaks to us. God speaks to us in so many varied ways. And so sometimes we're wishing God would speak to us. And so we need some coaching or some help or some equipping to discern how is God speaking to me? But every person that I prayed for and spent time with, we were able to find out how God was speaking to them. It might have taken a while, but we were able to find out the language of God for them. Sometimes the language of God is peace that passes understanding or a love. It's an impartation, right? So we could go on and teach a lot about the revelatory, but I want you to know that the scripture testifies that that Jesus is pursuing. He is the light that has come after every person, and I believe Jesus is good. I believe God is good, and I want to help people awaken to however God's speaking to them, so I want to be one of those cheerleaders and find out what God's doing in their lives. May we all do that. May we all help people to recognize. Like in John's situation, he was called to introduce, to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, and, and he called people to repentance, which means change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about everything. I want to challenge you, right? God, and, and again, I'm hearing more and more and more people walk away from this reality that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so it's not this proud, exclusive issue. It's this reality of I'm coming and I'm inviting. Many are called, right? He's speaking. The Father says, it's not my will that any should perish. So as you try to deal with those tensions and you try to deal with the emotional struggle that you feel, trust. I I hold on to the fact that God is good. Even when I don't understand, God is good. God knows what he's doing even when I don't understand what he's doing and I don't see it for good. I still, I I hold on to that bedrock reality. My God is good and my God is love and, and he says, I am pursuing people. I came to seek and to save the lost, people that don't have a relationship with me. Jesus came, that's what Christmas is about, amen? So may we be a people who keep, who keep beating the drum and keep telling them how good God is, how much he loves them, and how much he wants to have a personal relationship with them through Jesus, and how they get to be put into a family, a committed community of people to help them and to experience the Father's heart of God. Jesus is the light, the true light in lighting every person. John 10 
verse 10. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of the human decision or a husband's will, but born or begotten of God. It's interesting that even though Jesus created everything that we see and he came to this world, the world did not recognize him. And his own people, the scripture says, actually rejected him. But there's good news, verse 12 says, to anyone, to all who receive Jesus, to anyone who believes in his name, Jesus gives the right to become a part of the family of God. So Christmas is about giving and receiving gifts. Our God has come and given us the gift of relationship, the gift of intimacy, the gift of, of knowing God through Jesus Christ. And that gift doesn't do us any good unless we receive it. So here it says that, that he came to the world, which he created, and they did not receive him. And he came to his own people, who he had prepared the way in his word and with the teaching. And in general, they actually chose to reject him. So we have a choice. You know, people say, well, why can't God just show us all his glory and just convince us all that he is God? Well, where would faith be? Where would the willing surrender be? Where would be the humble heart in that? And so Jesus says, but to as many as received him, to those who believe in his name. To believe in the name means I... A name meant your character, the person. The name was identical back then with, with who it was. So when Jesus says, I am, they wanted to stone him because he was claiming to be God, right? Because God's name was I am. And so name was important. Name is very important. So, so who is this one? And we put our faith, we put our trust, we actually receive this one. And to those who received him, he gave the right to become a part of this family of God, both then and now. So this morning, we get to make a choice. We get to receive Jesus. We get to recognize Jesus. We get to welcome Jesus into our lives, into our homes, into our community. We get to receive him and that's how we get eternal life. By the way, remember that the biblical term believe is not just an intellectual agreement. Like, like, do you believe that two plus two is four? That's one way you use the word belief, right? But in the Bible, to believe means you've made a commitment on what you understand. It's like, you know, I say, I believe an airplane can fly. Biblically, I've not believed an airplane can fly until I've gone and bought a ticket and I've sat down in the seat and I let that airplane take me somewhere. That's believing in the biblical sense, amen? So if someone says, yeah, I know Jesus is the son of God. I know he's good. I know he came to the earth, but they've not responded or acted on that or put their faith in this one. It's really not biblical belief. How about you? Has, has your belief become an action, a surrender, a receiving 
of life, a receiving of him. And now with his help, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I am going to follow you all the days of my life. That's believing in the biblical sense. So many people are in churches today and, and they, they totally agree with everything that we've just read, everything that we've just said, right? But they've not acted on it. May we be a people of action, amen? May we say, Lord Jesus Christ, have your way in me. Father, I receive your free gift. Thank you for life in Jesus. And, and my commitment, my response is with you helping me, I will follow you. Come follow me and I will make you, Jesus said. And it says they were not born, uh, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Those are really three categories to help us know. You know, some people think they're Christian because they were born into a Christian family or they were born into a Christian nation. It's a bloodline issue, right? Some people think they're a Christian by, by human will. You know, when I think about it, I'm not as bad as that person I'm not as bad as, as, think of some historical figure that was terrible, and, and they're trying to measure their goodness or their badness by that. And they go, you know, so do I get in because of my bloodline? Do I get in because I'm not as good as someone else? Or do I get in because, you know, like in, in, in some places, a person when they're born, they're baptized into the church, which is a commitment that says we want them to make a faith journey but there's a misunderstanding that you have to make a personal response to Jesus as Lord or that benefit that you've had to be born in a community that would baptize you, that's not had the life-producing thing that it was supposed to because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the door, dead, then we'll be saved. So there's actually commitment, there's belief, there's action, there's, there's someone taking response and responding to the grace in their lives. So I pray you'll never wa waste the grace gifts in your life, no matter how God comes to you. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you tease out the major themes of Scripture, my friends, this is one of the awesome themes of Scripture, is God abiding and dwelling with his people. Do you know that is God's desire from beginning to end of the, of the testimony of Scripture? He wants to abide with us. He wants to dwell with us. Listen to Leviticus. So this is in the first uh, books of the law given to the people of Israel. I will put my dwelling place among you, I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. You see, God says, I want to be your God. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. And then the end of the story, Revelation chapter 21, verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So in Genesis, the Father, God, walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. It says in chapter 3, then on his normal routine, walking through in the cool of the day, now Adam and Eve have sinned, and they're ashamed, and they've hidden from him, but the normal life was walking. That place was created as a place of encounter. God wants to dwell with us 
God wants to live with us. In the wilderness, the tabernacle was built. The tabernacle was a place of encounter with the living God as the people left Egypt and made journey for the promised land. Listen to Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. I will dwell among them. I want you to hear the heart of God. God didn't just set the world in motion and didn't just leave us to ourselves, but God keeps coming and keeps coming and coming. He was with us in the garden, and we said we've got a better way. Israel was chosen to bring the presence of God, and he says, I will dwell with you, but they said, we've got a better way. Jesus came and tabernacled with us. That word dwelt is actually the word tabernacled. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that a great translation? Paraphrase from Peterson. He moved into the neighborhood. Why? Because he wants to be with you. Go figure. He wants to be with you and with me. In the incarnation of Jesus, God took on flesh. Spirit and matter come together in Jesus. This is the way it's supposed to be. And he showed us the, all the other things didn't go out like they were supposed to. And God says, my son, he'll show us. My, sh- my son will be the example. Now God... This is amazing. Now, in Jesus Christ, God tabernacles or dwells in every single believer by his Holy Spirit. That is radical. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So God is looking for a place to dwell, a temple, a place of encounter And every person in this room who has a relationship with Jesus, you're that temple, that dwelling place, that place of encounter. But it goes beyond that. That's the individual. Now God is building us together to become a dwelling in the earth. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So your individual life is a dwelling place, a place of encounter and this little place in northwest Houston, this community This is a dwelling place of God Most High. A while back, um, y'all remember Sadja who spoke at the ladies' event, heard some great things. Sadja was looking for a place, their church was looking for a place to have some prayer meetings because they're renting and, and they needed a place where they could come and meet. And so Cheryl Moses met Sadja and, and, and brought her in through that back door. And as soon as Sadja came in through the back door, she began to weep. She said, Cheryl, can you feel that? The Spirit of God is in this place. 
we have got to have prayer meetings here. Isn't that a great response? Now, sometimes we get complacent. Sometimes we take for granted. But again, getting back to the language of God, how, how are we doing on Sunday mornings when, when we gather or with your small group when you gather? How, how are we doing? Are we recognizing that Jesus said, when you gather, I'm with you? Are, are you recognizing or are or are we really distracted? Or maybe we're expecting him to show up in a way, our preferred way, and he shows up in a different way. Maybe in meaningful worship. Maybe through an encounter, God's speaking as the word's being spoken. But, but God is here. I personally want to become more aware of his presence. I want to be aware of the God who's in me and the God who is putting us together to be a place of encounter. Through the years when we have people join Calvary, why did you join here? Because God is in this place. I found my home. I met the Lord here. I, God's up to something. But we can forget. We can neglect. Or again, I'm looking for God to come in that transformational power that explodes out of here like fire and wind, Acts chapter two, that would be good, amen? Or like Acts chapter four, when they prayed, you know, God give us boldness. And when you extend your hand to do signs and wonders to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the Bible says the place where they were was shaken by the Holy Spirit, it just, it, things began to shake. I want, I want more of that, amen? Or in Acts 19, the transforming revival of God comes, the presence comes, and God is doing such extraordinary miracles that, that Paul's handkerchief, they're laying it on people and they're getting healed, and, and they burned thousands, millions of dollars worth of demonic paraphernalia as people were set free of sorcery and demon worship. That's good stuff, Amen. And then it said, and the word of God prevailed widely throughout the whole region. William Seymour, Charles Parham, Mary Woodworth Eder, in 1913, over a six-month period, gave individual prophetic words, different places in the U.S. that they did not know the other was giving at the time. And they prophesied that in a hundred years, there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would far surpass Azusa Street, which has been one of the fastest growing people movements in the whole earth. As the Spirit of God came and the move of the Spirit has gone around the world, people, that, that movement is still a part, of, and we're actually a part of that the third wave of the Spirit where God met us and has been doing work in our lives. So in 2013, that would have been 100 years. We're a little bit overdue. I'm praying into that revival. I'm praying into other prophetic words. But while I'm holding that tension and looking for God to come in manifest presence and power, I don't want to miss him who's already here. I want to be faithful. If we're faithful in the day of small things, we can be trusted with more things, right? And so that's why we pray regularly. We see God touch people with healing, 
salvation, deliverance, and encouragement, we see lives transformed, sometimes radically, sometimes gently and progressively, but I want you to know God is in this place. Now, the tension is we can hype it up, right? But we can also fall into the other ditch and go, you know, God's not doing what he used to do here. Yeah, but what is he doing? Simeon and Anna. Anna spent 80 years in the temple fasting and praying, waiting on the Lord Jesus. Simeon was a man given himself to the purposes of God over a lifetime. Now, we're good Westerners. God, we need the move of God yesterday. We, we need it quick. Lord, we're not going to be able to hold on. I remember we began to pray for revival, and, and, and we got excited about what was, God was doing in the mid-90s, and we started pastor prayer groups. And we had at one time 40-something pastor prayer groups all across greater Houston. Isn't that exciting? After three years, the comment was, where's the revival we're praying for? What good is it to pray if we don't see the fruit? That's not judgment on pastors. That's the, that's the thing that's infected all of us, right? If I do this, then God will do this. And, Lord, help me if my life is a Moses that it takes 40 years, or if it's a Simeon or Anna and it takes a lifetime, right? Or if I have to die in faith, Hebrews chapter 11, ah, ah. Where are we on God's timetable for the outpouring of the Spirit that'll shake everything? I don't know. In my books, we're overdue. We have about every 50 years a major move of the Spirit. I think God's setting us up because things are really in need of a touch of God. Amen? But do we want God in his presence or do we want just a better America? Do we want things to be like they used to be? Or are we saying, we want what you want to bring? I don't know my own heart. I don't know your heart. And are we willing to wait expectantly, patiently, intensely, until Hosea chapter 10, it's time to seek the Lord until. Until. How long is until? Well, I don't know. Jesus said I'm coming soon. My definition of soon is not his definition of soon. We're not on the same page. Let's go back to what we said earlier. God is good. I trust him. In the mid-90s, I was complaining to the Lord because we'd been praying for revival. We'd been praying for an outpouring of the Spirit. And... Uh, I got this impression from the Lord that is this about you or is this about me? You see, we were praying fervently and asking him, and how do we know if we're praying on the right track? Well, let's have some proof in the pudding. That's what he showed me was in my heart, that I was tired of saying God's coming and God's gonna move and God's gonna come and do, and we weren't seeing it. He said, but I'm a good farmer. I know that if I come now, we'll get the first fruits, but we'll not get the whole crop. 
And you know, I have to say, in my own brokenheartedness, it was like, okay, come anyway. Because <laughs> we need vindication. You know, we, we're believing right. We're praying right. Kind of like those, those people that came in and they were paid to go out in the fields and then somebody came at the 11th hour and then the, 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 the business owner pays them all the same amount of money. Those people, when they saw him paying the last first and giving them more than he promised them, they're thinking, hallelujah, I'm about to get rich. And then he paid them the same amount. So as people are swept up in the kingdom of God in these last days and come in, some of us are gonna go, wow, they've not been through what we've been through. Lord, we, we deserve a bigger piece of the pie. Well, anyway, that was my heart. My, my heart was, Lord, I, I know you're right about the harvest. I know you wanna bring in the whole harvest. You know when the crop is right, and I know I know nothing about agriculture but I sure wish you'd come sooner. But he knows. He knows. So, if you want to know who God is, then look really hard at Jesus. That's John chapter one, verse 14. Calvary, I pray that we'll fall more in love with Jesus. I pray that we'll look at him and go, you amaze me, you astound me, you've captured my imagination. I'm in love with you, you're my beloved. And then, verse 15, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known to us. So again, this passage teaches us that when God sends his word in the world, the world pretends not to recognize him. And when he sent the word specifically to Israel, they chose to not recognize him. This is a central problem in the whole gospel. Jesus comes to God's people, and God's people do what the rest of the world would do. They prefer darkness to light. That's why a fresh grace is needed. The law was given to lead us to our knowledge of God, that we need God. But the law was not sufficient. It wasn't that it was short, it was bad. But just like Moses didn't get them into the promised land, the law didn't get us. And so God has come to us in Jesus to finish the task. And so we need grace and truth in Jesus Christ. One of our favorite teachers Francis Frangipan says, if all you've heard is the truth, you've only heard half of the story. God has come full of grace and truth. Whatever God asks you to do, he gives you the grace to do it. But how do you know you have grace to do it unless you start obeying it, and then God helps you and teaches you and strengthens you? And so Jesus came to make the Father known. And in, in the book of John, especially when you read John 20, 30 to 31, he actually tells us why the Holy Spirit had him write the book. He wrote the book so that we would believe in Jesus, the Son of God, so that we would have an encounter with the living God. So I'm gonna give an invitation this morning. God, God wants to know you personally and wants you to know him personally and intimately and even we sit around here organically 
through Jesus. John 15, 5. God wants a personal relationship with you. You're not living off the relationship with someone else. But it's not just personal, it's also intimate. And it is intertwined. It was, Paul actually says, you know, I am crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. But the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and gave himself for me. And you're going, Paul, which is it? Is it you or Jesus? Isn't that a great mystery? And we go, yes. May we be intertwined with Jesus like that. Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus shows us how humans we're supposed to live in this intimate relationship with God and in this total dependency upon the Holy Spirit. And so we're not here to celebrate Jesus and just cheer on Jesus and how he lived. Rather, we want to receive Jesus as our Lord and we want God to live his life in and through us for the sake of his purposes and his life in this world. So now we embody the life of God. Again, Paul says, okay, I've taught you all these things. I've tried to help you, but if you can't get it, just come follow me as I follow Jesus. Just, just follow me. Just do what I'm doing. Say what I'm saying, and we'll get there together. Would to God all of us could say the same thing. Amen? Just say, I'm your testimony. I'm your living epistle. And we're a part of a new creation of God, a new work God has come to redeem and restore and renew all things to its original design. So I pray for each of us. May God be at home in us. May he be at home in us individually and corporately. May each of us come to the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. And may the Spirit reveal the life and light of Jesus to a world that's trapped in darkness, doom, and despair. The word became flesh, and everything changed. Let's stand. We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.